0: I'm going to give you tangible advice on exactly how to do what you want to do. Lead and love your life. Hello, and I am so excited today to welcome everyone to basically the best boss I ever had. And I tell you all the time to put out into the world what it is you want. And most people that I talk to say, Well, what I want is not a micromanaging boss, but I don't believe that that is enough information. You have not given the universe anything to work with. And it's really hard to define, though, what that is unless you've had a taste of it. And so I want to introduce you to the man that really taught me what leadership was from the inside out. He was one of my bosses and along with, we actually worked together at a couple companies. And um, this guy gave me the nickname many years ago of GSD. And I had no idea what that was. And then he told me it was get shit done. Um, And he's also the guy, if you've been following me for a while, that is the man who coined the phrase to me, bad news has a short shelf life. And these are just two little things that he's given me. Um, he's one of the reasons I opened my business. He gave me so much confidence in my leadership and in my leadership abilities and my ability to make mistakes, but also always had my back. So I want to welcome Scott tiered today. Um, his name is Scott Huddle. He is the man, the myth, the legend, and a friend of mine for many years. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for jumping on this call so that people can know what good leadership looks like.
1: Thank you, Emily. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the kind words. I, uh, I hope I could live up to uh, half of that, but uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners. And um, like I said, thank you for all the kind words and uh, happy to help in some small way.
0: Oh, always. See, this is it. Humble. Everybody needs a humble leader. Somebody who realizes that everybody around them should be leveraged. And Scott, the thing that I loved about our time together was at one point we had a very small team, but it really didn't matter. You brought all of us into every negotiation. You would have us sometimes sit on the floor because we didn't have a lot of chairs when we first started this one company. And um, you treated us like we were a board of directors and giving us that level of access I swear one year working with you was like five years at a large company, maybe 10. And what made you decide that you could do that? I mean, you know, I I guess because I had so many micromanaging leaders to that point, it was like brand new to me to have somebody that was so all in and invested in us as a team knowing as much as you did.
1: Well, it's interesting. I think part of it was necessity. (laughs) It is the mother of invention. We were a very small company and, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, humble. I'll take your word. I was humble enough to realize I couldn't do it all myself and I needed help. And uh, I very much relied on you guys um, and uh, I wanted your ideas and I also wanted to be transparent. I am um, a huge believer that transparency, visibility creates accountability. So, I wanted you guys to be on board with whatever we were doing while we were doing it. And, um, I didn't want it to be sugarcoated. Um, and, uh, yeah, it it was a leap of faith, uh, in some cases because you guys sometimes got access to, uh, got privy to confidential private information, um, like pricing that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, there was an element of trust. It was me trusting you guys that you were going to be responsible with that information. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it, but, but I needed that, right. I, it, I needed it for survival, but more than anything, many years ago, I read about the um, kind of the inverted pyramid, right. The service oriented leadership model where the kind of the CEO is on the bottom of the pyramid instead of a normal pyramid org structure where the, the boss is at the top. Um, I re- very much believe when I first read that it was, it was like a Eureka moment for me. It was something I'd always believed in uh, and just, just did it because that was my style, but it was really you know delegate, empower, and uh, make sure people had the tools, information that they needed to be successful in their job. And um, you know, I, I had conversations with an old boss of mine, and uh, he he was pretty harsh, he was pretty tough, but you know, in his later years, he came to realize you know everybody kind of has a place, every role in the organization is there for a reason. And even though somebody might frustrate you or not be a, a star or five-star performer, they still have value. And, and, and your challenge is to, to help them, you know, that add value to the organization. So, um, you know, so I think all of those things kind of played into uh, some of the, the reasons why I did what you observed.
0: Well, and, We were a part of an organization that morphed and changed. Oh my gosh, we were there many years, but it changed, I think, every year we were there. And you really had to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because things changed on the daily. And by the way, in the process of working with Scott, I had two children. So my personal life was changing along with that. And one of the big changes that happened was when I was pregnant with my first child. And I don't know if you even remember this conversation, but it really did change the game for me. Uh, I was really pregnant. But by the way, I gained like 60 pounds. So I looked really pregnant, like very early on. I took the whole, let's eat everything way too far. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, uh, I remember sitting in a room with you and you had the nicest way of telling me to stop playing small. You were like, I put you in this group. And there are lots of changes that are going to happen and i just don't see you rising to that challenge and it was like you said it in such a way that empowered me versus making me feel like you know dumb or less than and you basically said here are the keys drive the damn car and i don't know why but at that point in my career especially i was still needing some permission like i needed permission slips like i was in elementary school And it was like, that was the permission slip I needed. Oh, I got this. I'll make this work. I'll deal with the teams. I'll build out the things that you want me to build. But it was the first time I took basically thin air and created processes, flows with two separate companies. And I just needed, for some reason, your permission. But I feel like that conversation could have gone a different direction, which was, you know, you're not doing what I asked or, you know, something really direct, but not helpful. How did you learn to deliver bad news in a really nice sugar-coated way? Cause you've always done this so well.
1: Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I think it, I was going to answer this one way, but then you kind of threw me a curveball, but I will say, um, you know, not to get too spiritual or religious about it, but I am a believer in the golden rule, treat people the way that you expect to be treated. Um, and um, I've just done that throughout my career. I, my early in my career, I was a supervisor on a manufacturing shop floor and <laughs> verbal abuse was part of the job description. I mean, the, the union stewards needed to show you know, a little bit of bluster and how they had power over the salaried people. And, um, you know, somebody like me, kind of a young kid right out of school, being a supervisor of, you know, people in their, you know, 20 and 30 years into their career, um, that was one way they did it. So, um, you know, I kind of, that was kind of my boot camp uh, right out of college and, uh, you know, learn to be tough, learn to have thick skin. Um, but then I also learned um, how not to behave, you know, so I would walk into some of these plant, manage, plant manager meetings, like we'd have daily meetings and, you know, some of the guys would pound the fist on the table and yell and scream, right? Because it, it all kind of rolls downhill when, when you're getting yelled at or screamed at or cussed at, uh, it, it kind of propagates itself. And, um, and I just didn't respond to that at an early age. You know, I, I kind of cringed at that and kind of made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to do that. Um, so I think it started with that. But then, um, you know, I think back, uh, uh, probably, you know, 10, 12 years um, into my career. Um, <laughs> I had I had a southern gentleman that I worked with, he was a peer of mine. And he used to say you get more with sugar than you do with vinegar. And it, it, it is kind of the southern way, right? Bless your heart. Um, it's real, right? It's uh and, 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 and the whole point was, you know, it, it's easier. And, and you actually see this in some of the management psychology books that it's, in order to give feedback and critical feedback, constructive criticism, it's always good to start with something positive. And, and I've, I don't remember exactly where I heard that the first time, but I'm a true believer in it, that it, it kind of warms up the conversation Uh, It actually forces you as a leader to step back and say, okay, what value is this person having, right? Like you may be coming at it hundred miles an hour, frustrated, mad, whatever, uh, whatever this person's done wrong or not done that you expected them to do. But by forcing yourself to come up with some constructive criticism, even if it's just two or three quick bullets of, hey, I appreciate you for doing this, that, the other, it just starts it off as, you know, you're not... You know, scum of the earth, right? And uh, it, it allows the listener psychologically to be like, you know, they know a butt is coming, right? But at least it's, you know, it's not a 100%, you know, vinegar. Um, so I, I have found those to be uh, very helpful. And it does go back to the servant based leadership and it goes back to my old boss. His name's Irv. It goes back to him saying, you know, it really, you're, you're a better leader if you seek to find value in everybody because they're there for a reason. There's very few evil people in the workplace, right? There's very few evil people in the world, pure evil people, right? Like mm-hmm. most people have value and it's kind of your job as a leader to find that and bring it out of them.
0: I couldn't agree more. And when you shared with me that hard conversation, I was just sharing before that, you were saying all these things about how I was the person for the role and what it felt like to me. And that was, Emily, you deserve a place at this table. Now own your place, like Mm -hmm. do it. And it was like, oh yes, let's do that. So it was such an awesome moment for me to realize, oh, okay, this is what the next league is. And by the way, every level, at least this is what I found, Every level you move up, move up in a company, the more comfortable you have to be with ambiguity because you're tasked with less and less information and creating some sort of plan or thing. There's no, you know, here's the blue book for, you know, the, the playbook, the blueprint for this. There isn't one. And you really helped me. You were like the net in the background that I just needed to know existed. Like, I got you. You were here for a reason. I'll go do your thing. And that was all I needed. And then it was great. I mean, it worked out really well. So, I mean, that just to me was, it was a game changer. And, uh, you know, you answered my question about hard conversations. How do you build trust on a team?
1: I, the, the interesting thing is, you know, there's, I guess there's the book out there that everything you learned, you learned in kindergarten, right? (laughs) Like, you know, not to kick and punch and fight and cry and all that. Right. But, um, a lot of things go back to that hourly workforce. And, um, I remember, you know, this was probably, um, let's say the first week on the job. And again, I'm a young kid, probably 21, 22 years old and going in to manage these crusty hourly guys that, you know, skeptical as to why I'm a supervisor and what are my credentials and why am I managing them and all that. Right. (laughs) Um, and what, what they said is is similar things you hear, right? Like your reputation is the one thing that it, it's once you give it away, it's hard to get it back. And they basically told me, they said, listen, with this workforce, they were going to want you to be fair and honest and, and keep your word. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, if, if you lie to them or mislead them or withhold information, they're going to figure it out you know there's 50 of them and one of me they're they you know you can't lie forever they're going to figure it out and then you're you're done so it was no matter how much you're getting yelled at screamed at whatever how frustrated you are you know protect your reputation you know be honest be direct be fair and they will respect you and you know th- regardless of how they may treat you they will respect you and if you don't have their respect you're not going to be successful and guess what? That applies to everybody. It, it's, they're no different, right? They're human. It, 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 just because they're blue collar hourly or whatever, everybody wants to be treated that way. Everybody expects to be treated that way. And if they're not, you lose them. So, I, you know, it was, uh, it was a great first lesson, I think, in, in work psychology that I think just applied. And, and hopefully I answered your question.
0: I mean, that's, that's exactly what I was getting to for sure. And, you know, working together, you really brought everybody in from day one and made everybody feel that way, whether they were interns, or they were the janitors, you know, I think you talk to everybody. And Scott sends potentially the best emails that have ever been written. I am an email hoarder, I still email, I I hoard my emails. Because if somebody writes a great email, it's got all the information you need that you can reference later on. And I learned this skill from Scott, and it's something I use to this day with my own team. And I make sure that they understand what's going on inside my head, where my head is on all things, whether it be personal or business or whatever else. And I felt like you did such a great way. I mean, that's how I really gained trust with you. And when I came to work with you, I had a level of PTSD from the boss that I had prior to you. Uh, I came from an organization where if I wanted to talk to a client, I had to book a conference room and have my boss in the room to even say hello. It was very different from coming to where we were, where you were like, oh, here's your department you know, which by the way, was a department of one when I started that built into over 25 people over the course of in two countries um, after, you know, us working together. But I had a level of like, do you need to see everything I do? And I remember you said, I don't have time for that. (laughs) And I just thought, okay, oh, that's a level of um, a level of autonomy that I had never had before. And But at the same time, to your point, when you hire somebody, I feel like that that's what you're looking for as well, as can I work with this person and entrust them? Uh, so are there any questions that you would personally ask someone in an interview process to kind of vet out if they were the type of person that would work well with your management style?
1: Yeah, I'm... I, I, my manage, or my interview style has definitely evolved over the years. <clears throat> you know, I was in consulting for years. We used to do case studies and we would ask questions, you know, like solve a problem type question. And you would get to see how people think and decompose a problem, which is, which is very interesting. But um, to your question is really the style question. I, I like to leave it very open-ended for people. Um, and then you find out, how do they like to work? You know, what, what is your style? Like, what are your strengths? You know, what do you like to do? What do you not like to do? And you find out so much. And, you know, I kind of recognize a few things uh, when I hear that, you know, people, for example, you know, people are detail oriented. They, you know, they're very analytical numbers based, um, you know, something like that as an example, those are things that I like to hear uh, during an interview. So I'm giving people a cheat sheet here, but um, yeah it's in terms of like trying to identify something you trust it's really you know I look for people who have been who've accomplished things so um before before people even really get into the interview with me I'm usually screening the the resume and I really look for numbers so uh I you know to say it in a negative way my pet peeve is for somebody to say, well, this was my job. Like it's basically my job description, right? I managed 50 hourly people uh, on a factory floor. No, like what was your percent of production? What was your quality rate? What was your defect rate? Your customer service, you know, complaints rate, you know, net promoter score. Those are the things I'm looking for. And you know, what was it when you took it over? And what was it when you finished? Right? What what did you accomplish? Right? I understand what you did. I can tell from your job description. Right. But I want to know, did you get results? Or did you just kind of, you know, did you just kind of go through the motions? So those are the things I'm looking for, you know, when I'm interviewing people is people who get shit done.
0: Love it. And I, I couldn't agree more. I constantly tell people in my Market Me program and on this podcast that you've got to have a results-driven resume because just saying you did something, to me, that's first draft, right? I manage this many people is great, but that's that's one piece. Every bullet should be a cause and effect. And to me, at least, it shows how well you actually understood your job, Because if you can't tell me the effect that you had, then that means you don't understand what you were tasked to do and how you actually affect the people above and below you. Mm -hmm. And maybe maybe it's a supply chain background, too, of like knowing that everything's connected. But I feel like, you know, when you have a great leader, too, such as yourself, you were constantly educating us, um, whether we wanted to hear it or not. Uh, (laughs) but you were constantly educating us on different processes and how things worked. And just like when your dad lectures you, sometimes you don't get it. And then like a week later, you're like, Oh my gosh, now I know why he was telling us all those things. It wasn't trying to hold us back from lunch when I was starving that day. It was that there was a reason. And now it matters that I know that. And by the way, Scott's overseas now. So I'm really glad that I, he went through that with us so that I can make decisions without him. Um, so you had a really great way of sharing things with us before they were needed. Um, and I don't think a lot of bosses do that. Um, I think a lot of bosses kind of, ready, fire, aim kind of thing. Like, let me, oh, here are the things that need to be done. Go do these things versus let me give you, let me set the scene, you know, and you always did this great job of setting the scene. And even when we were a very small company and we were all working crazy hours and doing crazy things, if I walked by your door and it was open and I said, I got a quick question. You always made time for me. And that made such a big difference in terms of understanding that it was safe to ask questions. And especially if I asked something a couple times now, Scott does not have a good poker face y'all. He would let me know real quick if something annoyed him, which is good because you need that feedback. Don't hide it from people. Um, but I think that's why we worked well together. Cause I don't handle ambiguity. Well, like I need to know exactly where we stand at all times. And it just, it was such a great learning environment. And, um, what do you think, it sounds like when you worked at the factory, that was like the greatest lesson in leadership that you had. Do you have another, you know, favorite lesson that you had over the years?
1: Well, I will say this. I, I definitely uh, do not have a poker face. So I am not, uh, I am not looking to be a, a world champion poker player at all. And uh, my, my wife constantly reminds me of that um, because, you know, whatever expression I have, she very quickly knows exactly what I think. Um, So I haven't figured that one out yet, but at the same time, I think it goes back to transparency and visibility, because then, you know, as employees, like kind of the situation you were talking about, it would trigger a, you know, Scott, why are you confused? Why are you frustrated? Right. And let's just lay it out there on the line and deal with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, the saying, like the, there's a kind of colloquialism of the, the worst question is the one that doesn't get answered. Um, I think it's really important, um, that if you have a question, especially early on in your career, I think it's very important to ask questions to make sure you understand what is expected of you, when it's due, what exactly they want you to do, how to do it, whatever. Um, you know, at some point your boss is going to be like, okay, I think you have enough information, go do it. Right. Like, and then, then, you know, if you got to go to Google, go to Google, right. Or whatever. But, um, uh, your boss is always, and your peers are always a great source of information. You know, I actually made a comment this week. I'm like, uh, we all work for the same company. Like we can cheat off of each other. Right. We can, like, yes. if somebody has a good idea, leverage it, right. Like help each other. Right. I'm a big fan of that. Um, the other thing you were talking about with kind of the emails, I've, I've definitely gotten criticized for some of those emails, but, cause I do tend to be wordy, but, um, But I'm a big believer in kind of the executive communication, make bullet points, put stuff in bold, put stuff in color. If there's stuff I want people to notice, because everybody's busy. There's a lot of emails flying around. It's hard to get attention. And I always try and ask myself, is there anything I can do to kind of make sure something doesn't get missed or something gets noticed? Um, So I appreciate that that you recognize that. it, It all came back to anticipation, right? Trying to put myself in the reader's point of view, like it, you know, there's a lot of noise in this email. What are the key takeaways? I want to make sure they, they, they understand. Um, and then the, uh, so that's kind of the whole executive communication thing, right? Like less is more it's, um, it, you can sit there and type really fast, but the important thing is to kind of strip it down to its basic elements to make sure the key points aren't missed. Um, the other thing is, um, the, uh, talking about, you know, I'm going to lose the point. If I think I would, I'll come back to it.
0: No worries. No worries. No, this is so helpful because I, I actually made up something when we worked together. It was, um, you were no longer my boss, but I was managing a team of people and I was doing it horribly, by the way, it was nothing you had taught me. It was my own methodology that was not working well. And I was getting frustrated that nobody understood their job, which by the way, you know, spoiler alert, that's my fault, not theirs. And I came up with this method called STARS. And it's stop, think, assess, research, solve. And I actually gave it to everybody on my team. Stop, stop the, the spiral, you know, and think, what is the real question that you're trying to answer? Assess is look at your tools. And one of the most great tools that we have as people is our email. And searching something on either the topic that you're working on or the person that you're trying to deal with that's telling you they've told you this 10,000 times, research that email, you know, assess what you have, the tools, the people, all the things that you mentioned, actually do the research and then solve, meaning let's say you don't know the answer. Um, So go and try to take it one step further. So that when you do reach out to a person, AKA your Scott that you report to, that you're not just saying, Scott, I don't know, blah. But you're saying, hey, I looked here and I researched here and I did this. Could you help me? And all of a sudden, I'm not just this, gimme, 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 I don't know what I'm doing. But now you understand a lot more about what I'm trying to do. Um, And I feel like it worked so well on my team once I shared that with them and actually laid out with them what our tools that we had assessment tools were. And we had like 30 of them. I had them do it on a whiteboard. It was insane. Cause like I said, your email, everyone you sit around, of course your boss. But my goal with that was to always try to feed yourself before you involve others. Cause you don't want to tire those people out. Um, but again, this is why I'm such a fan of the Scott huddle emails because they had so much information in them that I could go back and reference and say, oh, wait guys here, see right here, this is important. We need that. Um, I was also the person I'm proud to say that my emails ended up in several lawsuits because I kept such good records. Um, I, we worked for a company that sometimes that happened. So, um, but they always came to me because I had like I could just get to the information very quickly but I understood the value of it. And so, but I think I understood the value of it going back to being under your tutelage at one point in my career, actually twice. Uh, we were, you weren't my boss at the other company, but you taught me a lot of great skill sets there about cross-functional communication. So that, that leads me to my next question. How do you lead across teams? So these people don't report to you but you need them for something. How do you lead in that type of role?
1: Oh man. Yeah. I've got some follow-on points. We'll come back to those uh, uh, later, but to directly answer your question with the cross-functional piece, um, I will say this. Um, uh, So at one point I was a program manager, um, literally, you know, a fourth of our company, so like eighty out of two hundred and forty people, were working on this project. It was a U.S. based team trying to launch a program in Norway, <clears throat> and um, and I was on point. It was my my responsibility, you know, to make it happen. And pretty much every department in the company um, had a role in, in launching that. Um, it's like an insurance product, right? So there's regulatory, legal there's call centers, there's, you know, all kinds of supply chain operations pieces to that. And, um, you know, it, I will say, you know, number one, I was, it was made clear kind of, Hey, you know, Scott's running this, right. So uh, that helped having leadership support and clarity of, you know, everybody needs to help Scott, right. That, that, that's step number one, like from a cross-functional standpoint, it's important, you know, if, if you, are in that kind of a role it's important that everybody knows what it is i think there's a separate issue like if you're all kind of peers and there's unclear leadership it's a separate thing <clears throat> but you know trans again transparency visibility uh regular communications documentation holding keep people accountable and really you know asking them hey you get them up with your task list you report out let's agree that those are the tasks and then let's just follow up make sure it all gets done but it was making sure that I was present, um, visible, you know, and clear on communications. I think those were all important. Uh, I think the, the, the second kind of a use case when you're cross-functional, but it's not clear, like maybe you're all peers and it's not clear these people are, you know, have an obligation to help you. Um, I think it's important to anticipate and that's going to tie back to some of my other stuff, but, um, I think it's consistent with what you said with the stars uh, mnemonic, right? Like trying to anticipate, you know, the problem, the solution, what your boss is going to say, what others are going to say. If you're that other person walk in their moccasins, right? Like what are, what concerns are they going to have? Why should they help you? Why is it in their rational best interest and have those key points, right? Like, Hey, this is important for the business, or it's important for your department or, you know, I, I am, I am coming to you hat in hand. You know, you have no reason to help me, but I need your help. And I'm going to ask really nicely and I'll give you a Starbucks gift card or something. Right. Like, um, just always trying to make sure you're putting yourself in their shoes, uh, which I think goes back to the anticipation of trying to understand what, what's in it for the other people. Um, the uh, I, I, the with them what's in it for me right is the mnemonic that people have probably heard of. It's really important. It worked really well, um, and I, it's uh, so. And that's kind of my whole point about the anticipation. I, I love what you said about stars because I've definitely used that. It is the reason I communicated with you guys because I knew I was either going to change jobs or I was going to have to go international and you know, I was going to be 12 time zones away, you know, I'm sleeping when you're awake and vice versa. Like, you guys had to be empowered and educated so that you could operate without me throughout the day or the week or whatever. And so um, I did try and anticipate those things, like what could go wrong? What are they going to need? What questions are they going to have? What do they not know? And then it was my job to make sure you knew as best that I could, you know, you, you can't anticipate everything, but there's some things that are pretty obvious that, you know, what people come to you for during the week, you know, and just trying to predict that kind of stuff. So, um, the, the one thing I would say is with your, like your stars mnemonic and trying to think, assess research, it has to be, um, boxed in from a time standpoint, back to the point about bad news doesn't have a shelf life, right. That mm-hmm. I actually can't take full credit from that. I remember uh, a gentleman, uh, an elderly gentleman 20 years ago, it on the back of his business card and his actual spin on that was bad news does not get better with age so i kind of i guess i kind of adopted it and butchered that but uh, the 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 point is if you've got bad news you shouldn't just be a pipe to straight to your boss you should try and anticipate and you have that there's a gray area right you have to figure out you know do i have a minute before i tell my boss do i have an hour a day it's probably not more than a day right so Take some time uh, to try and put together what what is your boss going to ask? What are they going to want to know? You know, the ramifications, the alternatives, the mitigations. Um, That was a great tool that I did pick up going way back to one of your other questions. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but in in a decision making kind of uh, risk management uh, situation, you look at um, what is the probability of something going wrong? What is the impact? If it happens, what can you do to prevent it? And if it happens, what can you do to mitigate it in terms of, you know, uh, if if something goes bad, it's kind of a control contain, you know, prevent and root cause analysis. And the root cause analysis a lot of time is the last thing you do, right? That's after you've had a chance to get some sleep and think about it and figure out how to prevent it next time. So uh, I think those were all, I've leaned on that risk management framework so many times it's served me well in so many different situations. Um, You know, definitely one of the, one of the best management tools I have found. It's helped me be rational, logical, and objective in the face of all of the uncertainty, which, you know, something you said 10, 15 minutes ago, um, as you, as you mature in your career and, and rise through the ranks, there is a lot more ambiguity and and that's actually why these companies pay you a lot of money is to be able to think and anticipate and react uh, and prevent mm-hmm. and um, and and so it has become very important.
0: Well, I'm so happy that you joined us today because like I said at the very beginning of this, it's really hard for me sometimes to share with people, okay, what kind of boss do you want? Um, now you've gotten a taste of something that I had in my life for about seven years and somebody I talk to regularly still. And I just, I, I don't know what I did to deserve you in my life. I feel so blessed that not only I know you, but now all my listeners know you as well and they can aspire to find their Scott or at least lead like Scott. Because if we're all leading from this humble place of, support and communication, holy cow, the workforce will just change dramatically. Um, it'll go from a place of where people feel a little bit scared to a place where we feel empowered. So thank you so much, Scott.
1: Well, thank you again, Emily. I appreciate the kind words. I, uh, the feeling is mutual. It's, uh, it was a pleasure to work with you. I'm even more proud of uh, everything you've been doing. Um, keep up the great work. And uh, I'm a big fan. Thank you.
0: Did you love what you heard today and you want more? Sign up for my weekly email in the show notes. It's packed with tips and tricks to lead and love your life. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram by typing in Emily Hawkins, the number four, the letter U. I'll see you here next week.